I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of this podcast, The Checkup. I'm also a health and welfare advisor at Lockton Companies. And today I am introducing you to Everside Health. Representing Everside with me today is Dr. Tobias Barker and Adam Johnson. They are going to talk to us about what the model looks like, how they differ. And I first just wanted to start out with a little lay of the land about the problem of healthcare. It's vast. We, we couldn't possibly pull back all the layers of what's wrong in healthcare in, in one podcast episode. But I think when we talk about the way the model works today, the traditional model, we would say things like, man, it's a 15 or a 30 minute window in a fee for service where I see my doctor and regardless of my condition, I have a pretty limited period of time with my provider. He or she likely cares a lot about why I came into the office, but that doesn't mean that they are going to be able to maybe call me after my appointment to see if I picked up my medication, how my adherence to their treatment protocol is going. Did I schedule the time with that specialist? The capacity and the structure just isn't there anymore to do that in most cases. The other things we groan about our healthcare system is incredibly expensive, the most expensive in the developed world, and yet our patients aren't healthier. We throw a lot of money into this system where people come out of it not feeling like they've really been taken care of. And yet with all of these things, often employers walk away from their experience making healthcare decisions that there isn't anything we can do. This is just the luck of the draw. We've had a really bad claims year. It is what it is. We hate it. Our people don't like it that much either, but they often stick with what I would call the devil we know. Today's episode is a deeper dive into you do have choices. You aren't stuck. And I think that Adam is going to kick us off with talking about the mission and we're going to get to a really great point, too, of talking about the hope. It's going to be one of the themes this year of our podcast. What is hope? You know, what's hanging out there that we can look at to know we do have choices. We aren't stuck. There's innovation. There's alternatives. How brave can we be together? So, Adam, kick us off. Let's just jump right into it here because I laid out part of the problem of healthcare. Sure. And as you talk about Everside and the mission, we're going to talk about a solution. So tell us about the mission. Sure. Happy to. And first of all, thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here. Uh, excited to be able to talk about all, all these topics. Great stuff. So I mean, our, our mission is really pretty simple. Our, our real goal as an organization is to empower members in our care to live their healthiest lives. So at, at the most basic level, we're trying to support individuals. We're, we're trying to help them get better. We're doing that primarily um, through delivering primary care, but we're certainly doing it in a way that's designed to be accessible, personal, create a good experience. And you're doing that with more than 350 healthcare centers across the United States. You're in 34 states. You have more than 400 providers. So this isn't just a telehealth option. This is an option of you can come in and touch a provider and see someone face-to-face -face in a brick and mortar. You, you got it. I mean, and, and what, we'll probably talk about this a, a little bit in a, in a little while, but you know, that's a lot of what we're hearing that patients want. 
you know, we've had this huge movement to offering so much virtual care in the last two years. And that's great. You know, I, I think patients like that. They appreciate that. At the same time, there's a lot of things that have to happen in person in, in healthcare. Uh, and so having a model that really has in-person care and virtual care, we think the combination of those two things is really important. So just to clarify, you do offer virtual options. Absolutely. But yes, but then you have this brick and mortar. In Washington State in particular, you have some providers and places where we have some real gaps in access to. Bellingham is the perfect example. Sure. Where else in Washington do you have clinics? So uh, we, we've, got, we've got a number, um, so quite a number, particularly in the Seattle area, uh, Puyallup, uh, Tacoma, Federal Way. Um, just to name a few of them. And, and then we're looking to have a lot more. Uh, you know, uh, the real key to our model is we're really trying to support employers where their employees, thus their patients, um, actually are. Um, so as, as employers get excited about this model, uh, maybe we don't have a location in Spokane, uh, but we can. Um, and so we're, we're eager to make those kind of investments to, to be the places where our clients are. And that's a great place too, I think, to, to talk about the fact that um, you're going where employers need you to be. And there was a time not that long ago that the best option that an employer had who really wanted to make an impact on the care for their people and the outcomes for their people was, did they have enough cash to build an on-site or a sure. near-site clinic, right? There, there, wasn't, there wasn't much option for the employer groups who had the problem, but not the cash flow. Maybe they didn't have the size, but they still had the need. And Everside has really worked on filling that particular need. Um, you've you've referenced it even as you know. I think a, a an access for the blue collar. You don't have an office that you go into every day. You yeah. know, maybe maybe transportation. Maybe you work eight to five. Everside has an option for that. that, that that's right. And, and, and to be clear, you know, I mean, that could be in an on-site. That, that could be in a dedicated near-site. But for a tremendous number of our clients, they, they are what you described. You know, they're a blue-collar employer. They, they've got em employees spread across a, a relatively large area. Um, setting up a single location for them probably doesn't make sense. Uh, but being able to have some shared locations where some of their employees go into this location, some of their employees go into, into that location, uh, and a variety of different employers ultimately leverage uh, those locations has been a really good model. And, and, and one of the things that, that we get really good feedback on about that is to the employee, that just feels like a normal doctor's office visit. Once they get in, it's different. And we'll talk about how that feels quite a bit different. But when they walk in the door, feels like a friendly place. It feels familiar. Um, and they ultimately get the flexibility to, to get support where they need it when they need it. So let's talk about a topic that I think to the, the three of us are passionate about as we, we explored a little bit when we were preparing for this uh, fee for service. Sure. And most of us that work in the healthcare space in some way are familiar with this. Um, most patients really aren't, and a lot of employers really aren't either. It goes back to my introduction talking about that 15 to maybe a 30-minute visit that my doctor's office bills my insurance company for, that, that right. system that 
really needs me to keep on coming back in for that, you know, for that billable window. Right. How does Eversight's model differ? Well, first and foremost, I'd say if, if you're getting a visit that's 15 to 30 minutes, you're actually getting an experience that's probably better than a lot of what, what our patients get out there in the world. I mean, when you just go and use primary care, the amount of time you tend to spend with the doctors, often in many cases, more like four or five minutes. Um, and, and so that in and of itself is kind of the, the core of the challenge. And, and when we look at the world, I'd say there's, there's two things we're really focused in on, and then I'll kind of get to where, where does our model really work. I think the first thing that's interesting is you know, employers actually have shifted away from fee-for-service care as it relates to preventive care already. So that, that's a step we, we've already taken, a recognition that if we want people to get that type of support, we have to have a different economic model for them to do it. The second thing is, I think a lot of, of employers underappreciate just the extent to which their employees are frustrated with the status quo. If you go out there and you do focus groups or, or you look at surveys, people's satisfaction with the primary care system in the United States is dismal. You know, if you look at these net promoter score ranges that are probably used in the digital health space you know, too much, um, you know, they, they range from negative 100 to plus 100. You know, primary care gets a negative rating. So, I mean, there's almost no institution that you would actually buy anything from out in the world that has a negative net promoter score. And yet that's how we think about our primary care providers. And it's not because of them. In, in huge part, it's, it's because of the model. So what's different about what we do? Um, so the first thing is, you know, ours really is a subscription model. So our goal is actually to see the employees quite a bit. And that doesn't mean we're trying to see them every single day. They, they don't want that um, either. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to support them over the course of whatever their care journey is. And particularly for employees with chronic care, that means seeing them every couple of weeks. It means seeing them every single month. And if you're a, a blue collar employee in particular, in the normal world, I mean, that's $150 every single time you, you need to come in. And, and ultimately what we're finding is that people just won't do that. Uh, they're not going to come in the amount that they need to, to get seen. And as a result, frankly, we're never going to develop treatment plans to be able to make them better. In a subscription model, you know, the employee really is paying very little out of pocket. Um, and we're really trying to support that employee more comprehensively. The second thing that I would tell you that I, I think is probably a place that employers maybe underappreciate the status quo. In the sales process, we always talk about things like lead generation. You know, we, we want to go out and find folks that are interested in our service. Um, the healthcare system uses primary care as a lead generation. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if, if I'm a health system, primary care like, is my front door. That, that's how I get patients in. And then from that point, I try to get them in for tests. I, I try to get them in for other services. I try to get them in for surgeries. And those are really the things that generate big dollar claims and, and generate revenue for that health system. Um, our model doesn't have any connection to any of that. We provide primary care. We provide some mental health services um, as well. But our goal is not to try to funnel people into a, a broader health system. And as a result, we really think that our providers then can prioritize um, care to employees and, and maybe be less distracted by some of the broader business. And, and probably have more of that caretaking experience as a provider that they expected they might have when they were going through medical school. Um, Absolutely. And I, you know, I would also say for, you know, if there are folks who are listening, who are surprised by 
this idea that, you know, a provider uses that primary care place to, you know, generate revenue. We have heard local stories here about providers who have at least spoken in quiet about the fact that they're very uncomfortable with and very displeased by this idea that they have certain metrics that they need to meet about how many referrals did they write to specialty care, how many x-rays, how many MRIs. And so, yes, it, it has gone beyond um, this idea of taking care of patients in, in many uh, respects. Absolutely. And maybe just to add one more element to that, I think this is a place where if, if I were an employer setting a healthcare strategy right now, you know, there's so much technology available to you. There's so much technology available to your providers as well, right? I mean, the, the, the value of a patient to a big health system is enormous. And so they've built a lot of the structure that you talk about. It's measured every single day. There's expensive consultants that are brought in to, to try to help with that. If you as an employer aren't thinking about how am I crafting my strategy to think about that? You probably ultimately miss opportunities to impact your population. Yeah. So these things too, obviously, don't contribute toward a mission of really making healthcare affordable for, you know, for, for members of our community. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of arrangements too, like on-site clinics or near-site clinics that I think start to with a, with a good intent, but end up really giving more care to people who already have great access to care, who already maybe aren't concerned with the bills they might see from their healthcare yeah. visit. So we're, we're giving more to people who don't necessarily need more and still keeping others really creating more obstacles for them to access. How does Everside stay true to this value of making healthcare affordable and doing it for people who really, really need it? Yeah, let me answer that in, in, in two ways. And, and I think they're both relevant. So I think the first is so much of what the healthcare system and what different solutions came forward in the last 20 years was to try to create convenience for employees. And a lot of what that meant, and you alluded to this, was it's almost like we tried to bring urgent care closer to employees. And that's great. And, and that's a useful thing to do. I, I wouldn't say that that's a bad goal. But fundamentally, that, that's not the sort of thing that, that's going to improve an employer's bottom line. It's certainly not the thing that's going to really improve the health of their employees. So that, that's number one. We really try to focus on delivering true primary care um, to individuals in, in a different framework. The second thing is, you know, we really are at, at Everside incredibly committed to this idea that working class Americans need the healthcare experiences that concierge medicine increasingly provides to, to other individuals, a very, very small portion of other individuals, but other individuals. And, and so I think one of the things we get really excited about is when we see quotes um, from our members, from our patients talking about I've never had someone take care of me to this extent. I've never had someone invest this much time um, with me. And, and so whether that's Taft-Hartley plans, uh, whether that's employer groups, that's something that we're focused in on, on every single day. And so our, our care teams, are, or whether it's using data or, or whether it's just encountering the patients that we're supporting, um, that really is core to our mission. And, and we really are trying to go out and find the people um, in those populations that, that aren't getting the care that they need, but we're also really just trying to say, these are populations that are often forgotten, and this is the type of service that can support them in a way that the status quo probably won't. 
how do you find those patients? So I'd tell you there's there's a number of ways to think about that. The, the first is really, you know, it's it starts with finding the right employers that, that need that type of support. Um, so when we're out there looking at, at prospects, a lot of what we're looking for are, you know, who are the employers that they really want to improve access, that they want to improve quality of care, that they want to create a better experience and a more affordable experience for employees. That gives us kind of the right population that, that's ultimately addressable. The second step then is we have a set of people that, that are engagement experts. That This is really all they've done in their career is they have focused in on trying to craft messages, trying to craft structures, trying to work with employers on incentivizing and guiding employees um, in to, to get the care that we're able to provide. And, and I think when we find the, the right prospects, and then we ultimately address the population in that right way, uh, both digitally and, and in person with the right engagement strategies, we ultimately have a lot of success in reaching them. So I mentioned this earlier too. One of the themes that I am going to be weaving into the content this year is specifically around hope. And Adam, when, when we were talking about this episode, you said, well, maybe this isn't the hope that you're really thinking of, but yeah. I think that we have a really great message of hope for employers. And that's exactly the kind of hope I'm going for, by the way. Um, so what is your message of hope for employers? Yeah. So a few layers. I mean, the first is, I think employers have an unbelievable opportunity to change the course of healthcare for millions of people across this, this country. And, and, and one of the things I love be, being in the role that I, I have today is being able to talk to people that are passionate about making a difference in that. And so if you're, you're out there in the world and you're listening, like you, you really have a, a huge opportunity to impact people's lives. And, and I think that's neat. I think one of the problems we deal with today is that so many of the solutions that exist and so much of the infrastructure of the healthcare world just happens too late. It, 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 it's all this process of a whole bunch of care happens. People have a whole set of, of call them crisis events for, for lack of a better description. And then after all of that's over, we're trying to come up with ways to engage them. And, and that has never worked. I mean, we, we, we have 50 years of evidence in the United States that that type of approach hasn't worked and, and, and it's probably not going to change. And, and there's a number of solutions that I think maybe are, are, a, are a prettier or slightly better version of that. It, but I don't think they're probably gonna change things a lot either. What I think you really have to do to make a difference is you have to start looking at how do you actually integrate what an employer's healthcare strategy is with the actual care moment that happens for an employee. And that's really what Everside was, was designed to do. I, I talk to folks every single day about what I call employer-centric healthcare. And what I really mean by that is you have your set of strategies. You've got a wellness program. You've got a set of point solutions. You, you, you've got a set of interventions and, and incentives that are important to you. In the normal world of care, the providers that your employees are using don't know about a single one of those strategies. They've never heard of it. They don't know anything about it. And how could they, right? Like you, you're not in a world where that, that would be a, a viable thing. Well, in hiring Everside, you actually do bring those two things together. And we ultimately have the ability to say, all right, what are the elements of your strategy that are now relevant for this particular patient? 
And at the moment that a patient is actually being treated, the, the moment when they're engaged, the moment when they're thinking about what do I need to do to get better, to be able to connect for them in that moment, all right, here's the right care recommendations. These are the right prescriptions that you need. These are, this is the rest of your care journey, but also these are the elements of the employer package that are relevant for you. Believe it or not, you end up getting much better adherence and much better adoption in those kind of moments. And I think for an employer that should represent a, a real layer of hope that there actually is a way to make those things be connected rather than being as disconnected as they are today. Well, and let's just say too, I mean, how often does an employer get to say that they've had this conversation with their healthcare providers about aligning their objectives and you know wanting to make sure there's a certain level of care and and expertise and good health outcomes that come from their population. I mean, in 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 the I think it's a great question. In the normal world, the answer is never, right? I mean, I I've I've run companies before. We we've struggled with our own healthcare challenges, and you know, you, you sit there and you see claims come in, and, and you sit there and you ask questions, and you say, how did this happen? But you never really have an ability to engage with those providers. They might be on the other side of the country. It's not even somebody that, that you really know about. That's really what we're trying to flip on its head, where you have a direct connection to those providers. You have a direct connection to the people that they work for. Uh, you actually create service level agreements that are related to impacting that set of patients. And, and I think when you can change healthcare and kind of flip it on its head, and in a lot of ways, manage it like you would manage any other contract. I, I had a great conversation with an employer a couple of weeks ago where I said, think about the amount of money that you spend at a particular health system in your area. Separate out all of your claims, but just focus on that single institution. That You should think about that as one of your single largest accounts payable items that, that you have. You probably don't, but you, you really should. And yet you don't have any connection to them at all. In our world, yeah, you have a direct connection to us. We become accountable. We ultimately can create incentive structures with our providers that align directly back to you. And I mean, let's just say too, that really the status quo for many employers has been pay your bills and yep. hope next year's better. That's yep. the strategy. Absolutely. And, and I, I hate that that is the reality, and, and I guess sort of consistent with what you said at the beginning, it doesn't have to be, you know, there, there, there are other paths, there, there are ways that, that you can both empower yourself to make a difference and empower your employees at the same time. So one of the differentiators of Everside too is your data and sure. not just the data that you provide to employers, but also how you use the data as care providers. So we are going to start about, you know, talking about this care model that you have and maybe a bit of an unexpected way because we're going to talk about data and we're also going to get to hear Dr. Barker speak, which I'm super excited about that. Um, accountability is really important to this direct relationship that you have with employers. A lot of it is connected to data. You talk about it a lot. How do you do it? And whichever, who, whomever would like to start first, please do so. I, I, I can start. I think the, you know, we do have, we are fortunate to have very clear relationships. So employers are our clients. 
and employees are our patients. And in the, you know, in the world of fee-for-service medicine, I'm not actually sure who the client is. It may be a, a, a future podcast topic for you, Danielle, but it's tough, <laughs> it's tough to even think about that. Um, you know, but because of our clear relationships, we spend a lot of time understanding the goals of our clients. And certainly cost plays into it, but our clients also want their employees to get great care. They want them to get the care quickly and they want us to connect employees to the best care downstream and with other partners, as Adam was just mentioning. And we're hired to deliver on those objectives and frankly, wouldn't stick around long if we failed to deliver on that. So, you know, as to your previous point, getting patient data is really a critical enabler uh, of achieving those outcomes. Talk us through a couple of the ways that you use this data with your care teams. Yeah, data is key to kind of, uh, for our care teams, you know, to start, I'll, I'll make a comparison as we oftentimes do to the world of fee-for-service medicine. You know, in the world of fee-for-service medicine, oftentimes as the provider, you know almost nothing about your patient other than uh, what you've seen yourself and the tests that you've run. Sometimes they share a lot of their history. Sometimes they don't share any. Sometimes they share the history and it's incorrect and they, you know, they don't always have a, a, a clear handle on what's happened in the past 10 years ago and what, what surgery that was and what diseases they may carry and why they're on a particular medicine. We partner with employers and employers who are responsible for the overall cost of care for their employees. So as a result, we have full claims data. And, and what that means is that we can bring in massive amounts of data from the other partners that the employer works with. So we're seeing uh, medical claims data, pharmacy claims data, in addition to all of the information that, that uh, the patient shares with us and that we're able to get through our own testing. So at a, at a population level, having all of that data allows us to do several things. From a population level, it really allows us to, uh, in some cases, co-develop programs that are specific to the healthcare needs that that employee population has. It, it also allows us to risk stratify the population so we can, we can identify and reach out to those individuals who most need healthcare interventions. So if, you know, if, if our providers are going to make five calls today, patients that they're not seeing that day, who are those five people? Who are the five people that are most likely to end up in the hospital or in the emergency room in the next six months? So we can make sure that they have full control of their health and we can keep them out of these high cost situations. So that's from a population level. From an individual patient level, having full claims data and full data in particular gives our providers a real 360 view of the employees. So we know, even if you're only coming in for a cough or a sprained ankle, we know which cancer screenings are needed. We know which preventative tests need to be ordered to keep you healthy and to lower the overall cost of care for the employer. So data is really crucial to how, you know, to, to our model. And it also sounds like you use some of that data, maybe not even just in a phone call that a provider might make from their office, but in some other engagement with the patient population. Um, can you maybe give us an example of what some of that looks like? So we use, we use patient data um, from a variety of different uh, um, circumstances. I think the important one is, and this goes a little bit into the engagement that Adam was talking about earlier. We, with the data, we know, for instance, when a patient has turned 50 or starting this year, it's actually 45. Um, and we know that when the patient has hit that age, they should get a messaging that, hey, it's time to think about colon cancer screening. 
here, click here to like, you know, get in touch with your provider so we can help set you up for these sorts of things. And so we're, we're having this really omni uh, directional approach to the patient so that, so that they're hearing from us, they're hearing about their healthcare from a, from a variety of different um, avenues. And all of that is based on, you know, data. I just made myself a note, by the way, about colon cancer screening. <laughs> I'm realizing I didn't get any kind of messaging from my provider that it's time. And it sounds like it might be time. Yeah. And these, these are meaningful interactions too, because one of the things that we hear often in our space is that, you know, insurance carriers aren't, um, aren't necessarily looking to manage all of the, all of the costs. They, they can't possibly, and in some of these spaces where they really try, if they reach out about a colon cancer screening, about something else that maybe I should do, you know, the average American isn't going to look at that and say, oh gosh, that's something I should really do. I should listen to my insurance company. There's such a distrust in that connection. So the most powerful place that kind of messaging comes from is you. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Your trusted healthcare provider. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, when a patient comes in, they have really a completely different experience from the fee for service market. As Adam said, you had an unusual experience. You know, the data shows that in most healthcare systems, a patient can expect a visit that's seven to 12 minutes with your actual provider. And maybe um, that's where I'm also you know, when I'm thinking about the time that it takes me to come in and step yeah. on the scale and, you know, sit on the end of the table and wait, I might be there for 30 minutes, but yeah, the reality yeah. of how long someone is with me, very short. Yeah. And I'll bet you, by the way, that that visit was scheduled at a day and time that was convenient for the provider or for the healthcare system. There probably wasn't a, as, as much input as you would have liked um, in terms of flexibility and, and, you know, fitting into your lifestyle. Yes. So, you know, when you, when you do show up for that visit, the actual provider, well, you know, while, you know, well-meaning and a, and, a, and a good individual, most likely, they don't have the time to get to know your individual circumstances. You know, we, you and I spoke earlier, they may not have the time to get to know your name. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the short seven to 12 minute visit is often followed by a quick prescription or a refer out to a high price specialist. And, and if you compare that to what patients can expect at one of the Everside clinics, the patients, first of all, have access to care at a day and time that's convenient for them. We always have same day, next day appointments. Um, we always have very flexible um, scheduling options. And, and the modality as well, in-person may work, virtually may work as fits their needs. So they can choose the modality, they can choose the time and the day. The visits are up to 60 minutes in length, 60 minutes with the provider, not including the, the, the initial work with medical assistant and getting vital signs and whatnot, as you mentioned. And those extended visits are like, wow, that's a whole long time to spend with a provider. But really, that's time well spent. Um, it's easy, and I'll give you an example. It's easy to tell a patient with type 2 diabetes who needs to lose weight. It's easy and, and really the only option if you have 7 to 12 minutes to say, hey, you need to work on your diet and exercise. Those are vague directives and they never work. Instead, the time is, it needs to be spent and how we spend it is really to learn the patient's individual circumstances and their unique barriers to better health. So instead of eat better, we know enough about them to say, hey, since we had so much time together, I know you drink three Diet Cokes every morning, 
how can we make that two Diet Cokes every morning? So we have very specific, actionable tasks instead of these vague directives, and that produces results. And that leads to better healthcare, and that leads to lower costs. So your care doesn't stop at primary care. You're kind of getting into that when you talk about how you can counsel a patient when, when they're with one of your providers. Beyond that, how do you deal with the, the patient who needs to see a specialist or someone who needs mental health care? What about prescriptions? How, how does that work? Yeah, so three different great topics. So we have we have most of the most commonly prescribed prescriptions in our clinics. So the first, what we call the first fill is always taken care of. And that's a huge issue as well. Many patients will be prescribed something in a larger percentage than you could, than you would think never show up to get it filled or they get it filled and they don't keep on it because they've had side effects or something. So making sure that they have that they leave with the meds, they need to stay healthy and that we have the right follow-up to make sure they stay on them is super important. To some of, of the other things you mentioned, I behavioral health. You know, for behavioral health, did you know that the cost to care for a patient with diabetes goes up threefold if they also have a diagnosis of depression? So these things all play into each other. And so we need to make sure that we provide whatever is needed for that particular population. Could be physical therapy, could be behavioral health, really anything that makes sense for the employees we're caring for. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to specialty utilization, there's three kind of pillars that we use to decrease the, the inconvenience for the patient and the cost for the employer of specialty utilization. One is we have longer visits. We actually have time to do um, to remove uh, uh, moles in the clinic, to splint uh, sprained ankles, to um, instead of, you know, if your blood count's low, instead of just sending you out to the hematologist for a consult, we actually have the time to like um, do the right test to figure out what's going on and to kind of think it through. So many of the specialty visits are negated just with our model. The next step is we have a virtual, we use a, we have a partner that's a virtual specialty uh, provider, we have access to virtual board certified specialists in a hundred different fields that our providers use. And we found that it decreases refer outs by about 50%. So there's, there's many cases where the provider will see a set of labs, see the patient be like, Hmm, this is really, really complex. I could really use the help of a endocrinologist, a neurologist, a cardiologist. We do, we do near real time consultations with them, get the answers back and the primary care provider is at a point where they are comfortable and don't need to actually send that person out. And then finally, because there certainly are people that have to be sent out, there's not everything can be handled in, 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 in the clinic. Uh, we, 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 we look in the community for those providers that are high quality. So in other words, say you want to have a, a, a knee replacement surgery, we look for providers that have high quality, low inf infection rates, low readmission rates and low cost so that we're able to do the cost quality um, for those refer outs, able to avoid some of the refer outs by using virtual consultation, able to even avoid virtual consultation just with our model of being able to spend more time with the patient. So those are kind of the, the three pillars we use for that. And, and three pillars that 
you know, are much more reminisce, reminiscent of what care looked like before we became big box that's right. providers, you know. That's what our that's what our providers say too. You know, this is it's it's a the most common quote we have from our providers is this is why I went to medical school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My guess is most doctors don't go to medical school so they can spend seven minutes with a patient and write a prescription and, uh, and wonder and, you know, and hope that things went well, right. there's a better strategy. Yeah. We talked a bit too about the fact that, you know, care looks different for different people. Care looks different based on the times in which we live. COVID is, you know, that prime example of, something that happened that necessitated a change and a change in how you worked with patients and how you work with employers. Um, you mentioned, you know, doing things like um, returning to work and helping employers with that component and vaccine clinics. Um, tell us a little bit about how you've been flexible and, you know, touch on how you, how you stay flexible and move quickly, because I think that um, the challenge in, you know, a, a larger provider footprint and the bureaucracy that happens can slow down things like progress when it's needed. I'd love to hear your take. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. Uh, COVID was a great, uh, was, was a great example of how this model of care really works and why it really works. You know, when COVID first started, we pivoted immediately because that's what was most important to keep the population healthy. I mean, the, the relationship we have with the employer is we will keep your population healthy and by doing so reduce healthcare costs. It wasn't, we will do X number of visits for X number of minutes is we'll keep your population healthy. So when COVID came, that meant focusing a little more on COVID. And so when the first CDC recommendations came out, on, if you remember way back when, it seems like a lifetime ago, on how to stay safe, well, at that point, sheltering in place for those first few weeks. We actually used our analytics capabilities to rank order every provider's patients by who was most susceptible to a bad outcome if they should contract the virus. We then called those patients to be sure they understood the new guidelines and that they had enough medications to stay healthy while they were at home. So that was, that was step one. Step two, testing started to be introduced. So we started testing. Then we started to develop return to work strategies with each employer. And it's different with each employer, what their situation was, what a return to work strategy should look like. That was followed by when the vaccines came out by vaccination clinics. So going through their population, making sure to, to uh, rank order their population in terms of who needs vaccines more and starting clinics to, to get their employee population through. And then more recently, helping to draft and educate um, strategies for their employees who are vaccine hesitant, because that's an important population we still have to get to. So the bottom line is, you know, we are a trusted healthcare partner for our clients, not simply a primary care provider. And that COVID really allowed us to show what that, what that looks like. Um, to your question on staying flexible and moving quickly, it's a great question. And it's something that's super important to us. So I'd start with the company's culture. That is, that is our culture, that, that we know that that's what's necessary. And I'd add to that the fact that our providers have been liberated from a lot of the administrative work that fee-for-service would, would you know, kind of fall on them. And that allows them to be able to innovate. It gives them a little more time to innovate. And so you know, this ability to be flexible, to be innovative, to move quickly, that's essentially our business model. So that's, that's what we do. We're hired to make care 
better for employees. And that world is changing rapidly. So we have to adapt and we do adapt. It's, it's, um, it's something we're very proud of. Yeah, as as you should be, because I think, you know, we should all at least congratulate each other on the fact that we're still standing almost two years after, right? And especially as healthcare providers, you know, I I really can only begin to imagine the peaks and the valleys of of what that time has looked like for all of you. Certainly something that uh, at least most of us didn't see coming. So I think I, I'd like to bring this back a little full circle because we've talked about how you know your care teams use the data and you talked about you know this flexibility to meet employers with the new needs that they might have, like you know, COVID screening, vaccine testing. When you circle that data back around, I would like to spend just a moment with what kind of data does an employer receive to know what their outcomes are and to know if this relationship they have with Everside is producing the outcomes that you've all highlighted as your goals and objectives? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to take that one. So I, you know, clearly when you're trying to deliver employer-centric healthcare, um, you get a different set of data, you get an opportunity to do more, you also do have an obligation to showcase that value in, in a different way. Um, so we, we have built a platform that we call Everside Insights that is really designed to do just that. It's really designed to give a full population view of, of what's the opportunity um, of our care, also designed to really very specifically showcase who are the patients that we're seeing, what's the impact that we're having on, on those patients, and, and ultimately what's the next steps for, for being able to impact them downstream. That really allows us in, in a fairly focused way to showcase what's the experience looks like, uh, what's the quality of care look like, and, and ultimately what's the cost impact as well. Uh, and so that, that's probably one of the most popular newer things um, that we've offered in the, in the last year. Uh, and we'll continue to innovate on that platform as we go forward. Yeah. I love it. I appreciated being able to see the dashboard and being able to see how you bring all of that together to really walk the talk of accountability. Um, you know, I, I appreciate both of you um, joining on our podcast for today. Um, I know there are a lot of things on your plate, but I appreciate the fact too that you both recognize there's such an opportunity to help people here in the Pacific Northwest and, you know, in all of the states really that you serve. So if you're listening to this today and you want to make healthcare more affordable, you want to reduce your healthcare spend without cutting back from employees, because often I think when we hear cut your healthcare spend, we think you're going to take more away from your people. That does not have to be the solution. You can help your employees achieve better outcomes, help them spend less help this healthcare system make a bit more sense to them. Let's talk about Everside. Let's talk about some real measurable solutions, employee engagement, flexibility, retention, retention of your people. This, If there were ever a time to think about new ways that you can care for the people who come to work for you every day, we might be a little bit past that time, but it's not too late. You know, let's, let's jump in and do that. This is the year to rethink and strategize. We can be purposeful and empowered. 
because we've said it here and I'm sure you've heard it in other spaces too. Hope alone isn't a strategy, but we do have some really powerful solutions. Let's be brave together. If you would like to listen to more hopeful strategies and stay connected, I invite you to follow the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, and your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you would like to connect with directly with Dr. Barker or with Adam Johnson, they are on LinkedIn. You can follow Eversight Health and see a little bit more closely what their story is about. And of course, if you'd really like to see what this strategy could do for your population, I'd love to help you. And with the combination of Lockton's tools and our data, along with our experience working with Eversight Health, we can help you evaluate what real hope looks like. Take good care.